John this morning like you guys saw in the front of your bulletins. But this is a special service. This is our relaunch. So what we're going to do is we're going to recap what God's done over the past two and a half years to recognize, to give him honor and thanksgiving because God has been moving in his church. He's been moving in this part of the city and we are just so blessed to be a part of it. All right, so for those of you who have been around for a while, you know uh, about two and a half years ago, February 2014, Paradise Calvary Chapel started. And what had happened to understand that is we had to back up a little bit more. Um, 2002, um, my wife and I met in Hungary at a Bible college there. I was from Las Vegas, she was from California. She got to live in a castle in Austria for a semester. That's where the Bible college used to be. And she went, she went over to the, to the campus in Hungary, which is where I went over to. And um, we met each other there. Uh, we were in Eastern Europe for 10 years. Two years we're at the Bible college, one year as students, the next year as interns. And then um, the Lord put a call on our lives to go help with a church plant in Southern Croatia and Eastern Europe. So my wife and I, well, we were, you know, we were not married yet, um, but we were both on this team to go down to Croatia, and I liked her, and I just said to her, you know, you guys know what I said. I said, you, you know, you're good looking. I'm good looking. We like each other. Let's just get married and move to Croatia. And she said, yeah, all right. It's exactly how it happened. So, not exactly. So we end up getting married the beginning of uh, 2005, moving down to Croatia to help with this church plant. Uh, within, within eight months, the team that we'd gone down to be there with to help plant this church, they'd all uh, either left, moved back. It was a tough season for a lot of people. It was difficult. My wife and I found ourselves by ourselves uh, in southern Croatia asking the Lord, Lord, what do you want us to do? And the Lord spoke to us and said, hey, if, if you want to follow anybody else, especially this particular person, then move with them. But if you want to follow me, this is where I have you guys to be. So we stayed, and the church got started. Um, we had three of our, our first babies there. The last two were here in America, and we were there for eight years. The church grew and was blessed, and we were able to hand it over to a national and then move back here to Las Vegas. I'm originally from Las Vegas. I was born here. And um, I went on staff over at Calvary Chapel, Las Vegas, Calvary Chapel, Spring Valley, for those of you who know it. And um, one day, Pastor Derek said to us, hey, what do you guys think about starting a new church over in the UNLV area over by the airport? And, and I said, that's interesting that, you, that you'd say that because we're actually praying about two places in Las Vegas that we would like to plant a church, and we're going to talk to you about it. And that was one of the places so it was confirmation. Things went pretty quickly, and then by February 2014, we were moving over here with a couple families, a few families that came over with us, that, and we started in our house that we bought right down on Pecos and Hacienda in the living room, in the formal living room, and quickly the Lord started to add, and it grew the reason mainly that we needed another place is because we had so many kids. There wasn't enough room for the kids in the back rooms anymore, and it was just crazy. Those days were fun, but they were crazy. Lord, you can have them, <laughs> have those days. And then I went on a, we went on our first missions trip as a church to Croatia. 
We went back to visit the church and see what was going on there. We've taken three mission trips since the church started two and a half years ago, two to Croatia and one to Ethiopia to an orphanage and a ministry that we support there. And we were in Croatia, and, and I and get, I get a, a, a Skype from Grace, and she said, somebody just came to the door, an officer, and issued us a cease and desist. We are not allowed to hold worship services in our house. Our neighbor had contacted the county commissioner and tattled on us, and we were in trouble. We were in violation because uh, we weren't zoned for worship. So they said, if you don't stop meeting in your house immediately, the next time you do it, you're going to get a $5,000 fine, and we're going to take you to court. And the lady on the phone, she said, I'm a Christian, but I have to tell you, Please take this seriously because your next door neighbor is is documenting everything very well. <laughs> She's taking pictures of you guys, video. In fact, one Wednesday night we had, I looked out the window and she was standing right there looking in. Come on in. So little did she know, little did she know that what the enemy intended for evil, the Lord meant for good. And we had been praying, we needed to get out of the house anyway, and we had been praying, we talked to this church before about letting us use some space in here, and they said, well, there's already another church, it's a Methodist church there on, on Sunday, so you can't use it on Sunday, maybe you can use it in the afternoon, we really didn't want to, but anyway, so as soon as I get back from Croatia, I call the pastor of the Filipino church that, that, meets, that was meeting here, and said, hey, listen, this is a situation, we only need the place for maybe one or two Sundays until we can try to find something else. He said, well, I'm surprised you just called. The Methodist church just left. I was thinking about you guys. And I said, really? He said, yeah, the place is open all day on Sunday. So we came over here. That was about two years ago, and we were meeting here and paying them a sublease rate just so that we can get in, and, and things were happening, and we were growing. And then it got to the point at the beginning of the year where they said to us, we're not going to stay in the building anymore. We're, we're leaving. So I went and talked to the landlord and see if we could renegotiate a rate. They were willing to renegotiate with us and cut the square footage down. And then we signed our lease as a church on July 1st, 2016. And here we are. We, you've got a lot of changes, a lot of things happening. God is doing some really cool things in the people here. And I'm really blessed and honored that, that the Lord would allow us all to be part of what his plans are here in paradise and in Las Vegas. I'm honored because I don't deserve it, you know. I don't deserve to receive God's grace and mercy, but he is good and he's good to all of us, and that's what he wants to give us. He wants to give us that measure of grace and mercy that we need so that he can be demonstrated mightily through our lives. Isn't that what we want? This is really what we're going to be talking about in 1 John. 1 John, in chapter 1, the first four verses, we see our vision statement in the first four verses, but we see it explicitly in more detail in the chapters that follow. Specifically, in chapter 4, but really this concept of knowing God. Our vision statement for the church is to know God, to love God, and to live with God. And that doesn't just stop there. It actually goes into our other relationships as well. To know God well, to know God rightly, is to be able to know others well. In, in the right sense of knowing them and having genuine fellowship. To love God, you can't really love somebody until you know them, right? 
You don't meet somebody for the first or second or third time, and the first thing they say to you, man, I love you. You're like, whoa, bro, (laughs) calm down. I don't even know you. So God's desire is that we would know him. Therefore, when we know him, we can actually say, God, I love you. That's the key in Scripture. I was started, first started going to Calvary Chapel after I started walking with the Lord, and, and I would go in, and we would sing these worship songs, and everybody would be waving their hands and stuff, and afterwards and before they'd be saying, thank you, Jesus, I love you, Jesus, I love you, God. And at that point in my walk with the Lord, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm a very real person. Like I say, I say, I tell you the rat story, you know what I'm saying? It's okay. I'm a very real person, and I would say to people, and I would pray to God, God, I can't really, you know, I want to know you, I want to know you more, but I, I, you know, I want to say, I love you, Jesus, but, you know, I don't really know you that well yet. So I'm sorry if I'm supposed to and I'm not. But it wasn't too long after that that God was just revealing himself to me so powerfully through different life circumstances and and his revelation revealing himself to me that I was like, oh God, I love you. God, I love you. And it was through a right understanding of knowing who God was that I was able to say, God, I love you. And it's not until that point in a relationship that you can say to somebody, I love you, that you can really start living together in fellowship. And that's the third part, life, right? Life, living together. When you know someone, you're able to love them and you're able to live together with them. And that's what we want. We want to know God. We want to love him based on that knowledge. And we want to live with him. And it flows over into knowing each other. And we can't really uh, love each other in the church unless we really know each other. I mean, we can. God did it for us, but he knows us. And then we live together. There's that fellowship that happens. This is the essence, this is the foundation of what the church is supposed to be. It's not just saying that we went to a building on Sunday. It's not just checking the box. It's not just turning on the computer and watching a sermon. This is it. Look around. Hug somebody next to you right now. There you go. Good hugs. That was a head hug. Yeah. This is what it's about. In 1 John, as John opens up, he really emphasizes through different words, this heart, this foundation that we have as the New Testament church. John is unbiasedly my favorite apostle. He's, he's my favorite. There's a lot of people that like Paul. Paul's great. You know, he's a cool dude. But... John, John just, you know, was chilling out, hanging on Jesus's chest, you know, leaning up against him. John really encapsulates what right relationship with God looks like. He was very close to Jesus, and he allowed that to flow out into the other relationships that were around him. And this is what we see in 1 John as a whole. We see uh, John conveying this concept of having right relationship with God, and therefore being able to have right relationships with each other. You know, we were created relationally. That's how God created us. It's in our DNA. In fact, if you get punished by the corporate system or you get in trouble, one of the things they'll do is they'll throw you in solitary confinement. 
It started happening to me when I was four years old. Get it? Time out. Solitary confinement. You're not allowed to play with others. You're being bad. And why was that a punishment? Because we like playing with others. We like that interaction, that relationship. That's what relationship is all about. And that's the emphasis that John is going to start with and that we're going to carry through this first epistle of John. So let's go ahead and start and look at the first verse. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. John says, this is my account of Jesus Christ. And this isn't just somebody that we talk about that we say. John says, this is somebody that I'm telling you literally, I saw, I touched, I was taught by. To behold or to look upon means to be taught by. I was taught by him. I handled him with my hands. I touched him. This is all what really relationship looks like. It's seeing, being, touching, feeling a part of relationship. And and John, we know, was addressing a a modern-day heresy of that time that Jesus wasn't actually physical. The Gnostics believed that the separation of the spirit and the body were clearly defined and they did not intermingle. So the Gnostic Christians, there was this false teaching going around that you could be a Christian and since the flesh and the spirit were separate, you could do anything you wanted in the flesh because it was separate and didn't intermingle with the spirit. This was false and the reason John is addressing it in very, right in the very beginning. I touched him. He wasn't a phantom. They believed he was some phantom that you could see, but he was spirit only and not flesh. The reason that he's addressing this is so that they know this is somebody who actually came, the Son of God manifesting the Father, coming to earth. And if he's not actual flesh, he can't die on the cross. And if he doesn't die on the cross, then we're still in our sins. There's no... uh, no right, real reconciliation to God. This is key. We can't say as people that we know who God is or have a right relationship with him apart from Jesus Christ. He's the only one that gives us that access. He says, we have heard, we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. He was a real witness to the events that unfolded. And he's saying, you guys can believe me that this is for real. I saw him and I touched him. And that's the kind of person that you want to talk to, right? If you want to be familiar or learn something about a situation, you want to talk to the person who was there, who said they handled them. And for us as well, I think this carries over for us as the church. Can I say this emphatically to people? Maybe I haven't physically touched Jesus Christ, but I've physically been touched by Jesus Christ. He has changed my life. You don't want to know the kind of dude I was before. And I can say to people emphatically, just like John, I have heard him. I've seen him. I've looked upon and I've handled. I've been taught by him. And when this is the cry of the New Testament church, when this is our cry, 
then we can better, more rightly represent who God is because it's what His intention was for us in the first place. The word of life. Verse 2, the life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen and heard we declare to you. So the life was manifested. Again, these words indicating that Jesus actually was a physical being that they had seen and bearing witness to declare that eternal life, which was with the Father, was manifested to us. What a title did, did John just give to Jesus Christ? Another one, eternal life. We've talked about eternal life before. Eternal life is not living forever, is it? John chapter 3 is, says eternal life is knowing God. That's what eternal life is. When you come into a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ, that's when eternal life begins. That's when abundant life begins. Like Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life abundantly. You come into a right relationship with God and God gives you abundant life, eternal life that ends up lasting forever. Typically, we would think eternal life means into the future, but in Jesus' case, it means into the past and into the future. Because Jesus was there since before the foundations of this world. Think about that kind of eternity. We think of eternity as blank line or starting point into the future forever. Think about backwards forever, frontwards forever. Eternal life. This is who Jesus Christ is. This is who we bear witness of and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and when it's manifested to us. This verse 2, we see the first in our uh, three-part vision statement, to know. How do you know something? Well, it has to be told to you, right? You have to learn it. So it says the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you. How did you become a believer? How did you get invited here. It was declared to you. It was told to you or you read it, right? Let's flip over to Romans if you have your Bible. Romans chapter 10, verse 13. Romans 10, 13, we're going to read this little section of verses. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him on whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. As the declaration goes out, as John says, this is who God the Father is. This is what God's intention, this is who Jesus Christ is. As it's declared, it's able to be received. You're able to know. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you may also have fellowship with us. That's number two. And I would, I would connect fellowship to the second part of our statement of faith, love, verse 3. 
Isn't that what genuine fellowship is? It's, it's, it's love. It's being together. Here's a quote from Morgan. Those who have a fellowship with one another are those who share the same resources and are bound by the same responsibilities. The idea becomes almost overwhelming when it is thus applied to the relationship which believing souls bear to the Father and to His Son, Jesus Christ. The Father, His Son, Jesus Christ, and all believers have all things in common. All the resources of each in the wondrous relationship are at the disposal of the others. Such is the grace of God and of His Son. What is Morgan saying? He's saying when you have right relationship with God, all His resources become available to you. You guys get that, right? Because you got a buddy who knows how to do something and you need that thing done. So you say, hey, bro, him, I need this taken care of. Could you help me out and do it? And if you have good fellowship with that person, they say for sure it's done. Because when you have right fellowship, when you have right relationship, there's love involved. And when love is involved in right relationship, the resources, they, they, they overflow onto each other in that fellowship. I know you guys love the Lord, and I also know that you love me. Thank you. You give me hugs and tell me that my hair looks nice when I know it doesn't on those days when I just need that extra help. And I know I could call many of you who have specific types of skills or abilities or, or gifts or talents, and I can ask you with help for something. And because we have right fellowship with each other and there's love involved, you do it. I've never had anybody say no before. Well, there's that one guy, but we kicked him out. He didn't get it. Just kidding. We didn't kick anybody out. And the same goes for me. You guys know me, you call me up, you ask me for some kind of help or something, I'd be Johnny on the spot to go get that rat out of your pool. I'm down for whatever, however I can help. Because there's a genuine, in genuine fellowship, there's a genuine overlap of resources. So if that's true for you and for me, and you can understand that based on the relationships that you have, then how much more is it true and how much more should it blow your mind that that's what happens when you have relationship with God? It's not just saying, God, I want a new car. God, I want a new house. God, I want these physical things. I, I need these things. It's God, your, your resource pool is so large that I know you are able to do all and above of what I need or what I ask. And he says boldly, come to the throne of grace. And he says, if you need something, ask. And it will be done for you. Ask in the name of Jesus Christ. That is a picture of right relationship. That is a picture of God saying, I want you to know me. And in knowing me, I want our, our hearts to be bound together in fellowship. This is what you guys are going to see after the service in the potluck. I hope you guys all stay for the potluck. Because it's good relationship, it's love, it's getting together. They don't call us Calorie Chapel for nothing. Take that second cupcake. Take that third cupcake. You know why? Because it's good fellowship. Amen. With my mouth and my belly. But that's when we see things start to happen. People's lives start to change. It's not just running out at the last worship song. I'm not trying to lay a guilt trip on anybody at all. But there's something that happens in that 
fellowship together that starts to change us because we're experiencing love, not the love that we have to give others, but the love that's been given to us through God our Father. And he says, I want to change you. Will you let me? And are we going to be a part of that? Yes. When we have right relationship with God, we have right relationship with each other, we have genuine fellowship, and as we live together, that is that intoxicating, intoxifying. It's magical. And, and people look at that right relationship. They see that genuine fellowship, and they want it. They say, I want to have relationships like that. But there's not a reconciliation of, of, of right relationship between them in the first place. There's things that get in the way. But right relationship with God clears that up. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Do you think that He did that on accident? He said that you may have right relationship with us and that you experience what right relationship is or fellowship with the Father. That's why we tell each other, invite your friends, invite your family, because that's when they experience what kind of relationship or what relationship looks like with God is having relationship and fellowship with those who have it, right relationship with God. It may sound redundant, but it's not. And it starts to change people's lives. Hey, come, have fellowship. See what it means to know who God is. Because it affects us and it permeates through our our lives. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. I've told this story before. It never gets old. It's part of my testimony. I was 15 years old, laying on my waterbed kind of praying, didn't know what life was about, had so many questions, saw people who said they were Christians that did bad things, saw other people who, who, who didn't believe in anything, you know, the whole, the whole gamut, I saw everything. And, and, I, and I was contemplating the purpose or meaning of life, and I prayed and I said, God, I don't care about religion, I don't care about church, I don't care about any of these, these things, I just want to know who you are. Who are you? Can I know who you are? I was talking to a priest because I was raised Catholic, so I was talking to our priest one day, and I said, I want to be like you, but not really. You know, how do I know God, but not, you know? He said, well, you know, this is, a, this is, a, this is a, an achievement. You know, when you get to where us priests are, I'm like, I know. And I kind of want to do that because I want to know God. I want to know who he is. But I like the girls. They smell nice and they're pretty. And you hang out with dudes all day. That's only goes so far, you know? Is there a way for me to know who God is without taking these vows of celibacy and just being, didn't God create me to like girls? Yes, I'm a man. God created me to like girls, and specifically one girl now. By the way, I don't like girls anymore. I like the lady because that's what she is. And guess what? I do understand and know who God is, not to put anybody down at all, but 
in a greater way than, than people who limit themselves by rules and regulations. God created marriage to be something that could express real relationship between two people that, that will blow your mind. Marriage is, a, is an illustration, the most used illustration in Scripture that God uses to convey what right relationship looks with Him over and over and over again to the point where in the Old Testament, He calls them out and He says, you guys are a whore. God the Father says that. He says, I want to be married to you. I want to have right relationship with you. And all you're doing is running around town, sleeping with all these other foreign gods. That's what God says to the nation of Israel. And God over and over again says, I want to have right relationship with you, Israel. And they keep turning their backs. And in Wednesday evening at 7 o'clock, we're studying through the book of Exodus. And it never ceases to, to blow my mind how quickly the people were willing to turn to false gods. In chapter 32, we just went over uh, Moses going up to the mountain to receive the hand-inscribed instructions from God on the tablets, and he comes down, and they've molded a golden calf to worship and give credit for taking them out of Egypt. When they saw the waters part... when they saw the manna fall, when they were a part of the, the most amazing, crazy, we can't even understand relationship with God in the history of the world anybody had. But Moses is gone for too long, so we're a little less upset and we build a calf to worship? This is the point. Right relationship. We don't take things in the church and try to substitute it with a relationship with God. That's why here at Paradise Calvary Chapel and all the Calvary Chapels, our fundamental belief and teaching is teaching through the whole Word of God. We go through the whole Bible. We talk about everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly. We don't just highlight those things that make us feel warm and fuzzy inside. Oh, I feel motivated to be a good person this week. Who cares? You get a right relationship with God, the fruit is you're a good person that week. You don't need any kind of motivation. So we study through the Bible. We go chapter by chapter, verse by verse, book by book. And maybe it takes a little bit of time. You know, we started in Genesis almost when we first started, and we're almost through Exodus now. Genesis and Exodus are big books. And we really get to see the heart and the love and the compassion of God. When somebody tells you that the God of the Old Testament is a vengeful, spiteful, mean God, and the God of the New Testament is love, you can tell them if you come to Wednesday night that they're full of baloney. You don't see any more pure love demonstrated to the people of the Old Testament. Because I'll tell you what, if I was God, no more warnings, no more chances. You are a bug. I am God. Boom, you're done, buddy. We're starting over. But God doesn't do that. God's desire is reconciliation. God's desire is, is right fellowship, and he gives us chances. This is why the New Testament is based on uh, the law was given through Moses, which brought death. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace is unmerited favor. Truth is what I want to live my life by. Amen? You guys want to live your lives, lives by truth because if it's not truth, it's a lie, and that means you're being deceived. I was sharing with this woman who's very close to me 
most of my life. She, she uh, passed away not too long ago. I was sharing with her over and over again, and it got to the point where she was opening up. She was a staunch, hardcore Roman Catholic. And, and she said, what's the difference? And I said, well, the, the, the difference is, is relationship. The difference is that you have to follow rules and regulations uh, based by what the church says. And, and the New Testament talks about right relationship with God through Jesus Christ alone. That's it, nothing else. And I could see the light bulbs going on and, and we're talking. And then one day she stopped me and she said, I don't want to talk to you anymore. We're not going to talk about this. And I said, what's wrong? And she said, I don't want to have lived my whole life a certain way and, and give in to, to the fact that it was a lie. So even if what you're telling me is true, I would rather live in a lie. And I have to tell you that that wasn't the worst, uh, that, that was the worst conversation that I had with her, but I had better ones after that where I could see there was some willingness. And you know, just like she knew, that if you do acknowledge or there could be a possibility that, that you are living in some kind of a lie or you've been deceived, there's a point where you don't want to live there anymore. You don't want to be there. You want to know the truth. And that's where we come in fellowship with God through Jesus Christ. John's cry of his heart that they would know God, so they declare it. That they would love God, which would be expressed through fellowship. And then the last point in verse 4, And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. Joy. Do you guys like that word? Joy is a good word. Joy is the result. The result of fellowship is fullness of joy. You don't hang out with people and have fellowship or relationship with them, with them because it's not fun. I really don't want to go hang out with Joe and Andy again. Those guys are terrible. I can't stand them. No, you think about it because you're going to do something fun with them. Why? Because there's a presence of joy in relationship. This joy is an abiding sense of optimism and cheerfulness based on God as opposed to happiness, which is a sense of optimism and cheerfulness based on circumstances. This joy is something that's deeper inside. This joy is also connected to life. No love lived. To live, to live, to really be alive is to have joy. And you know those people who have joy and it's just bubbling out. They are alive. And many times we look at them and we're like, oh, man, I want to be like that. I want to have that joy. That joy in the church comes from genuine fellowship with God. Life joy, and it spills out into other relationships around us within the church, but ultimately, hopefully, outside as well. Why are you so happy, dude? Because I got joy. Where'd that come from? You got to know. You're coming to church with me on Sunday. <laughs> so they can experience it too. John says, come have fellowship with us so that ultimately you are having fellowship with the Father. That's the key. That's what it's about. And we want to have fellowship with the Father. That's what being a Christian means. Again, it does not mean just going to church. 
It means having a right relationship and allowing that to overflow into other people in the church and then overflow outside of the church. And then that's how revival happens because there's a demonstration of people on this planet that actually have right relationship and fellowship with God. Does that make sense? Makes sense to me. Sometimes I think, you know, when, when I say to somebody, hey, you know, the, the, the emphasis of the New Testament and what God wants you to know is that you can have fellowship with him. And sometimes I think that translates in people's brains, I don't want to have fellowship with God. That's like saying the junior high kid can have an intimate relationship or a relationship with the vice principal. There's a separation, you know. But that's not the way it is. You know why? Because Jesus, Jesus Christ was God bringing himself down to our level. It's God showing us through the sacrifice of his son that, we are, uh, that his intention was to humble himself so that we can be like him. And then that's what happens in our lives, in community, in church as we follow him. So those are the three things that we're going to talk about more in 1 John. If you were taking notes on the back of your bulletin. To declare is to know in verse 2. Fellowship is to love in verse 3. And then joy may be full is to live in verse 4. Let's pray. God, we really do want to know you more. More than we did yesterday. More than we did before. And for those of you, those of us, Lord, that don't know you, we just pray that you would you reconcile relationships, that people would make confessions of faith, they can come to faith and knowledge of who you are. God, we pray that you would sow this word into our hearts. We pray that you would give us sweet, genuine fellowship afterwards as we uh, eat together in the potluck, and that you would be not only uh, glorified, but you would be manifested among us in our fellowship today in Jesus' name.